Well, it's hard to believe we only have uh, one Sunday left in uh, this year. Um, so next Sunday, I'm uh, looking forward to looking ahead to 2021. Um, I, told, I told Bethany the other day, uh, you know, when it preparing for the new year and thinking about that last Sunday, we're going to be done with this series. We're kind of looking ahead to a new year, a new book we're going to study, finishing up the gospel series. And I was like, you know, honestly, nobody wants to hear lessons from 2020 in the last Sunday of, of this year. Nobody wants to think back on this year. And, and that, I was joking uh, and kind of serious. Um, there, there has been a lot to learn, and there is no doubt about it. I have learned uh, significant things this year. The Lord has used this year to shape and, and change me in a lot of ways, and I'm confident that has been true of you as well. Um, but uh, I think we, we need to look ahead, and not necessarily with the expectation that things are going to be dramatically different come January 1, 2021. Um, you know, it's not like we're going to put everything behind us, but... Uh, there is reason to look ahead and to anticipate what the Lord is going to do in the new year. And so I want to try to do that uh, next Sunday um, and uh, just talk about some, some focus for, for each of us uh, in the coming year. And so I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to thinking that through a little bit more deeply this week and then sharing that with you. Um, so I hope you'll be uh, available next Sunday and back uh, to spend some more time together around, around God's word and around uh, the hope of the new year and thinking through that. Um, but today, we're going to finish up our series on the songs of Advent. So open up to Luke 2. Um, we're going to look at this last song in these chapters. Obviously, Christmas is five days away, and uh, if you were to make a list of the top ten things that you associate with Christmas, there are some common things that would be on everybody's list, I am sure, and good things, no doubt. Um, Christmas means many different things for different people. Gifts, obviously. Um, I hope you're done with your shopping. Um, we found out this morning that a significant present is due to the pandemic not going to be arriving before Christmas. And so we have to sort of scramble this week and figure out what to do in light of that. Um, but gifts are a thing that most people associate with Christmas. Obviously, family. Spending time with family um, is good. Uh, food uh, is something that is delightful about Christmas. Um, friends, uh, time off of work, just sort of a time to reset in a lot of ways. Uh, Christmas music, um, memories of a Christmas time are, you know, something that you sort of recap and talk through as a family and enjoy together. Um, and those are all good things that we, many people would associate with this holiday uh, time of year. But if you're a Christian, um, you, you definitely think through those things, but then you would have to add a few things to that list, right? There are certain specific things that we associate with Christmas that are true of believers. Um, obviously, we think of the incarnation. I mean, that's what this is all about. It's about God becoming man. Uh, we think of the angels singing, the shepherds. Uh, we think of the fact that Jesus was born to die. I mean, the incarnation is not an end in and of itself. There there's a, a specific reason that Jesus came to earth as a man. He was born in order to redeem us and to die. Um, many times you think of the wise men. We think of the star, uh, the manger, the stable, right? There's a lot that we associate with the Christmas season or, or Christmas day. But I don't know about you, but when I sort of think through Christmas, I don't often associate evangelism with Christmas or 
mission, the mission of the church with Christmas. It's not something that I, I typically put together and, and think through. I mean, Christmas feels like a holiday that is a little bit more internal in a lot of ways, right? I mean, it's a time where you're off work and you're with family and you're celebrating together and you have memories. And so, um, you know, you're, you're thinking through all of that and you're enjoying that. You're processing the beauty and the glory of the incarnation. And so Christmas, to me, oftentimes seems like a little more of an inward focus holiday. And there's nothing wrong with that. But we don't often think, and I know I don't often think of Christmas as a, a time of year a season that should compel us and motivate us to go out and share the gospel and to think about the mission of the church to the, to the ends of the earth. But we'll talk about this morning why we should think of Christmas that way. We should associate this time of year with, with the mission of the church and with evangelism. I mean, the words of the angels that we read last week in Luke 2 should ring true in our ears. I mean, what did they tell the shepherds? This is good news for all people. It's good news for the shepherds there on the hillside, but it goes well beyond them. And this is actually news that should impact everyone in the world. And so today in our last song of Advent, Simeon's song in Luke 2, 29 to 32, we're going to see this focus on mission and on evangelism, and it's going to be made explicit for us. The joy of Christmas the joy of the incarnation, of the peace that comes through Christ, is meant to propel us out, to sort of shove us out the door with that joy in our hearts and then share that with others and make sure that that joy goes out to, to the ends of the earth. Jesus came not just to bring salvation to Israel. He didn't come just for them. He did come for them, but it wasn't supposed to end there, and it's not supposed to end there. Ultimately, he came for the world. Good news for all people. People from every tongue, from every tribe, and from every nation. So Luke 2, verses 29 to 32, is where we're going to mainly be this morning, but we'll look at a few other verses in Luke 2. And we're going to study this last song of Advent here, Song of Simeon. Now, I'm going to handle this a little bit differently today as far as the presentation of it, right, to help you understand what's going on. Normally, I give you... Uh, different points. You know, I'll say like three ways or four impacts or something like that. Well, today I'm just going to give you a single sentence that summarizes this song, and then I'm going to show you from the song how I came up with this, with this sentence. And so hopefully you can, can follow along with that. And here's the sentence, all right? God's salvation comes to Israel for the sake of the world. Right? It comes to Israel through the nation of Israel, but ultimately it doesn't end there. It's for the sake of the world. The purpose and the ultimate goal is for people from every tongue and every tribe and every nation. And so since this is true, this statement here, my hope for us today is that we would begin more and more to associate Christmas with mission out into the world. Not just an internal holiday, but a holiday that maybe in the new year propels us outward to share the gospel with others and to become a part of spreading this good news. Because ultimately, this is what Christmas is really all about. Christ being born to die so that his good news and his gospel will go out to, 
to the ends of the earth. So that's what we're going to see this morning. Last time, if you were with us, Luke chapter 2, verse 14, we saw the song of the angels, right? This was our third song of Advent, and that song took place on the night that the Lord was born. Now, even though we are a little bit before Christmas, we're going to move beyond Christ's birth just a few days, and we're going to see Mary and Joseph in Jerusalem with baby Jesus, all right? So look at Luke 2, verse 22. I'm going to read down through verse 24. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And then there's a little explanation here in verse 23. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Verse 24. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And so Mary and Joseph journey down to Jerusalem and to the temple. And when, when they are there or in this passage, we meet a man and a woman who are around the temple, who are constantly in the temple complex. And they're there because they're both waiting and anticipating God's fulfillment of his promises to Israel. So I want to sort of skip ahead and I want to introduce you to the woman first, right? So this is a woman named Anna, and she is described to us in verses 36 through 38. So look down there. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And that's the key part there, that last phrase. Anna is in the temple because she's waiting. She's hanging out in the temple. Every time the church doors are open, she's there. Why? Because she's waiting and anticipating the redemption of Jerusalem. So what this means is that Anna is very aware of God's promises in the Old Testament. She knows her Old Testament. She's aware that God has made promises that he's going to redeem Jerusalem And she's waiting for those promises to come. She is anticipating that God is going to follow through on the promises that he's made. And here, she approaches Mary and Joseph and begins to talk of him to all the people in the temple because she believes that Jesus, this child, is the climax of God's dealings with Israel. All the promises in the Old Testament come to fulfillment in and through him. And the story of Israel reaches its fulfillment through this child. And so she recognizes that and understands that. And so she thanks God that he has arrived. She begins to talk to everyone else about him. So that's Anna. That's the woman here who is anticipating and waiting for the fulfillment of God's promises. Now let's go back and meet Simeon, who's the man who is very much in the same boat. Look at verse 25 of Luke 2. Now... There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, Anna was waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem, and in a very similar vein, just using a little bit different language, Simeon, according to verse 25, is waiting for the consolation of Israel. 
All right, so what exactly is he waiting for? What does he mean when it says he is, what does it mean when it says he is waiting for the consolation of Israel? Well, that word consolation has the idea of comfort or of encouragement. It's actually the same word that's used to talk about the Holy Spirit coming to us as the comforter, right? Same word. This is the word that appears in the Greek translation of the Old Testament many, many times in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah, particularly chapters 40 through 66, are filled with this word. And that's why those chapters or that section of Isaiah is the book of comfort. It's God promising comfort to Israel. He's going to do good to his people. They have sinned. They have rejected him. They have run from him. They rebelled against him. And he has consistently and faithfully done good to them. And in that section of Isaiah, he says, look, you guys have messed up so many times. I'm going to finally fix this thing. I'm going to ultimately do good to you. And I'm going to fully and finally set things right. And that's what he's promising. And those are the promises that Simeon and Anna are picking up on. Let me read to you some of that comfort, particularly from Isaiah 40. He says, comfort, comfort my people, right? I mean, that's how this whole section begins. It's a section of encouragement and comfort to Israel. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And then here's the promise of John the Baptist, right? A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And so there's this promise of things being set right, of comforts coming to Israel because the Lord returns to his people. A little bit further on, go up on a high mountain, up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not, say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. And then here's this promise to Jerusalem and to Israel. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. A beautiful picture of the encouragement and the comfort that Jews expected God to bring to Israel. A little bit further on, and this is a familiar passage to you. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? And here's what they say. My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. And then God responds to that perspective that Israel has, where they think God is not interested in us at all. Have you not known have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary. Young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And so Simeon and Anna are waiting. Right? They're obeying this promise here, and they're in the temple, and they're waiting for the fulfillment of this comfort to come. 
And what this comfort is, is it's the era or the age that we talked about last week, the age of peace and joy, when God will fulfill his promises, when he will return to his people, when he will defeat their enemies and bring refreshment and shalom to them. Further in Isaiah, all the way at the end of the chapter, it says this, Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her, all you who love her. Rejoice with her in joy, all you who mourn over her, that you may nurse and be satisfied from her consoling breast, that you may drink deeply with delight from her glorious abundance. And so Luke presents this devout man and this devout woman who are both waiting for God's promises to be fulfilled. And so Simeon and Anna, I think, were both very familiar with the Old Testament, particularly with Isaiah. They were steeped in the theology of comfort that comes from the book of Isaiah. And they're both waiting with joy and anticipation. Now, this is a really good point, I think, for you and I to sort of press pause on this story of Simeon and Anna and make a little bit of application to ourselves. So you have these two people who know the scriptures, who believe the promises of God, and are waiting for God to fulfill his promises, and it dramatically impacts their lives, doesn't it? I mean, they, they reorder the way they live. Everything changes in their lives because they know that God is faithful, they know he's true to his word, and they expect him to fulfill his promises. And they're waiting for him to do that with joy and hope and anticipation. And so the application for you and I, I think, is has, has your belief that God is going to return again, that he's coming back for his people, has that impacted your life? Are you living a typical American life with your eyes on material things and on the happenings of the world? Or, like Simeon and Anna, have you sort of lifted your eyes up above this world and can see God returning on the horizon because of what he has promised? And that fills you with joy and hope, and it dramatically changes the way you live day-to-day life. I think it's a helpful point of application for us to consider from their example this morning. And so, going back to the passage here, you've got Simeon basing his hope on the Old Testament. He's waiting, and as he's waiting, God does something special for him. You saw at the end of verse 25, look back there, it says that he was, the Holy Spirit was upon him, and look how this impacts him in verses 26 and 27. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. Now this is something that we've seen happen throughout the early chapters of Luke, right? This is not something that you should necessarily expect to happen in your life today. The Holy Spirit should reveal to you that something's going to happen before you die in your life. But here, around the incarnation, angels, the Spirit, in all sorts of ways, God is speaking directly to his people and revealing things to them regarding the birth of Christ. And so here, he gives Simeon this, this revelation that he's going to live long enough to see the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one. And notice again how he reacts in verse, verse 28. He 
he took Jesus up in his arms and blessed God. Now, I want you to, I want you to notice something in, in verse 28, and I'm going to make a connection back here to verse 25. So Simeon takes Jesus up in his arms when he meets him. So in Greek, and you, you have to kind of understand what's happening here in Greek to see this, but it's a beautiful picture. In Greek, Luke is doing a play on words here, okay? And so this word, he took him up. This is the same word that is used in verse 25 that is translated that he is waiting for. I know in English it's two different words, but it's the same word in both of those verses. It's just in verse 25, it has a prefix on it. So in verse 25, he's saying he's waiting to receive in advance. And then in verse 28, he's receiving. And so Luke wants you to make this connection between verse 25, Simeon's anticipation and posture of waiting. And then in verse 28, he wants you to see that Simeon has received the fulfillment of his waiting. He has received in his very arms the consolation of Israel. And I think Luke is giving us one of the more beautiful pictures in, in Scripture. I mean, just think about this scene that is happening here for a moment. There's always something lovely when a grandparent takes their grandson or granddaughter in their arms for the very first time. It's a magnificent thing to witness, right? And they look down into the face of that sleeping baby, and there's joy there. And I think that's sort of the image that Luke is painting here of Simeon, right? This guy has been waiting and waiting and waiting to receive the consolation of Israel, and he gets the opportunity to take the consolation of Israel up into his arms and look down into the face of this sleeping baby, and there is great joy, and he blesses God because of this, because, man, this is it. He's gotten to experience this in his own life. It's a magnificent picture of satisfaction and of joy, and it's that moment that brings Simeon to this song in verses 29 to 32. Look at verses 29 and 30. Lord, now... You are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For, here's why, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Now, again, in Greek, the first word in this song is the word now. And so what Simeon is saying is, because I have taken up the consolation of Israel in my arms, this moment has changed everything. We have entered into a new stage in salvation history. You are fulfilling your promises now, and it's happening through this child. Everything has changed, and everything has changed because God has been faithful to his promise to Simeon personally through the Spirit, but he's been faithful to his promises to Israel as a whole through this child. Look again at the end of verse 29. It says, according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. And so he sees this child in his arms as the fulfillment of God's promises. God's salvation come to earth and come to his people. Now, up until this point in Simeon's song, and really up until this point, for the most part, in the book of Luke, 
the emphasis has been on God's deliverance and on his salvation coming to Israel, right? I mean, that has been the focus. God, you made these promises to the nation of Israel, to the Jews, and you're going to deliver your people. I mean, Simeon is waiting for the consolation of Israel. Anna is waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. It's very focused on the nation of Israel. And so, so far, this term salvation has been associated with the deliverance of Israel. I mean, if you go back to our first two songs, Mary's Magnificat and then Zechariah's song, both of those songs focus on Israel, don't they? They talk about God's promises to David. They talk about God's promises to Abraham. Both of those are focused exclusively on the nation of Israel. This is the point in our song where you need to remember our little sentence here. God's salvation comes to Israel, but that's not the end goal. He's not just going to deliver his chosen people. It comes to Israel for the sake of the world. And so there's a focus in the early chapters on Israel, no doubt about it, but Israel's never the end game. Israel is a conduit. They don't exist for themselves. They exist to bless the entire world. And this is the point where Simeon's song turns this corner and reveals to us this much larger purpose in God's salvation. Israel exists for the sake of the world. Look at verses 31 and 32. For my eyes, verse 30, have seen your salvation... Verse 31, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. So what Simeon is saying is this salvation brought through this child is going to go to all people. There is a worldwide scope to this mission. It's not just ethnic Israel. But this is not the first time in the Bible that we've heard about this. In fact, the Old Testament is filled with expectation that God will bless the world through Israel, that they are not an end in of themselves. God did not choose them to just sort of partition them off and deal with them and bless them. He chose them to bring salvation through them to the world. If you go all the way back to Genesis 12 and verse 3, this is just verse 3, despite what you see on the screen there. This is what God tells Abraham. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed, right? There's this expectation and this promise that you will be a conduit of blessing for the world. Now, you've probably heard this promise before, but here's my question for you this morning. What story takes place right before this promise to Abraham in Genesis 12. Think about it for a second. What comes right before this? Well, if you go back into Genesis 11, yeah, at the end of the chapter, you've got some genealogies dealing with you know, Noah's sons and all that. But the, the story that comes right before this in the biblical narrative is the Tower of Babel. And that's so important. All the people of the earth speak one language at the beginning of Genesis chapter 11, and they all come together 
in this crazy experiment to defy God and to create a name for themselves, to create glory for themselves. And so what does God do? Well, I love the imagery in the story of God. They're building this tower to heaven, and God has to come down just to see the tower, right? It's actually there in the text. It says he comes down like it's no big deal, this tower that they're building to heaven. But as he does that, he knows that they're, they're trying to defy him in their sinful pride, and he confuses their language. And then look at the end of that story, how it ends in Genesis 11, 9. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. All these little groups of people now, these nations that are divided up by language, God scatters them out over the whole world. And then he makes this promise to Abraham, through you, I'm going to bless all of these people, all of the families of the earth. And so here's the point of that. Here's what God's promising. The blessing will come through Abraham and it will have a worldwide scope and it will impact the families and it will come to the nations who have defied God by their sinful pride. The very people who rebelled against him, who wanted their own glory, God in his graciousness will bring salvation to them through the seed of Abraham. In other words, this blessing is going to come not to people who deserve it, not to people who get everything right, who check all the boxes, not to people who are particularly holy and devout. This blessing through Abraham is going to come to people who are filled with sinful pride, for people who don't check all the boxes, for people who defy God's authority and rule and reign. It's going to come to them, people like you and like me, through the seed of Abraham. God is going to bring blessing and peace to those people through Abraham. And this is the promise to him, but this promise goes throughout the Old Testament. In a passage that is very much talking about the Messianic king, Psalm 2, look what you have. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. And that's just one example. The Messiah's reign will go worldwide. And Simeon speaks about this in verse 32. Look back there. Luke 2, verse 32. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The coming of Messiah, the salvation, verse 30, that he brings are described here as light. I mean, look again at verse 32. You can see the, the, the way this is set up. A light, and then you've got for revelation to the Gentiles, for glory to your people Israel. So there, there are two impacts of this salvation this light that comes. And they, it impacts the Gentiles in one way and the Jews in another way. But let's start with the Gentiles here. Simeon is picking up on Old Testament language and this Old Testament expectation that someday Gentiles will be included in the people of God. The chosen people of God will not just be ethnic Israel. It will include Gentiles. We already mentioned Genesis 12, Psalm 2, 
There's so many other passages in the Old Testament that, that talk about this international flavor of salvation. But Simeon goes back to Isaiah again here. Isaiah 42. Thus says God, the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. He's talking to his servant here. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. God's talking to the servant of the Lord here and this fully planning and expecting him to be a light for the nations, for the Gentiles. So, or Isaiah 49. Now the Lord says again to the servant, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, that Israel might be gathered to him, for I'm honored in the eyes of the Lord. My God has become my strength. He says, it is, is it too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel? I will make you as a light for the Gentiles or the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. And so God promises in this section of comfort to Israel that the comfort will not stop with Israel. It will expand out through his servant to the ends of the earth. And so here, specifically to the Gentiles, I assume to people like you and me, mostly here today, it says he, he will be a light. Why? For revelation for the Gentiles. In other words, this child, this salvation, will show them the way to God. They will have revelation now. They will be able to see the pathway to God. And this makes sense, right? If you, if you lived in the Old Testament, the Jews, the nation of Israel, was the one, they were the ones who had the covenants. They had the Torah. They had the word of God. They had the tabernacle, the presence of God. They knew the way to God at least to some extent, right? They knew who God was. They had God's word and revelation. If you were a Gentile, you didn't at all. But through this child now, the knowledge of God goes out to every nation on earth. And so that's the path. The pathway to God will be revealed to the Gentiles, but what, what impact will he have on the Jews? Look at verse 32. And he will be for glory to your people Israel. Now, of course, Israel was, was and, and will be God's special and chosen people, but they were not chosen for themselves. The end goal is not Israel. They were chosen as a conduit of grace. And here's the wonderful news for Israel. Ultimately, as God brings the Messiah to Israel for the sake of the world, it will draw the attention of the nations back to Israel. And they will be honored for their role in this. This is how Isaiah puts it in Isaiah 60. I told you we were going to read a lot from Isaiah this morning. Here's what he says to Israel. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you, and the nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. And so you've got an impact on Gentiles, 
They can see the way to God. And you've got an impact on Jews here in verse 32. Nations will be drawn to them through the Messiah and through his work. But ultimately, and the reality of verse 32 is, is that even though there's a little bit of a different impact on Jews and Gentiles, now, through the Messiah, both of them are included in the people of God and they are on equal footing before the Lord. Of course, you have that explained in the book of Ephesians as we saw last year, I think. They're on equal footing and all of it happens through this child, the light, the Messiah. And I want to show you later on in the book of Luke that Jesus himself saw this worldwide proclamation revelation of the pathway to God as one of the primary purposes of his ministry. I want you to flip in your Bible to the very last chapter of Luke. Chapter 24. Hit the book of John and take a left. Luke 24. And in the gospel of Luke, these are the last words that Jesus speaks to his disciples. Verse 44. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me and the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And so Jesus says, look, it's according to the scriptures that the Messiah will suffer, rise from the dead, And it's according to the scriptures that his good news will be proclaimed throughout the entire world. And now, of course, if you flip from the book of Luke to his second volume, the book of Acts, you see that this whole book, the whole book of Acts is centered on this idea. It's explaining this idea because it begins with Jesus saying from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that's the pattern of the book of Acts. And at the end of that book, you find Paul in Rome proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Now, here's what all this means for us, right? This is a lot of Old Testament to New Testament, book of Isaiah, all Jews, Gentiles. There's a lot of stuff happening this morning, right? And all of this is significant for you and I because in the story of the work of Christ and what he has accomplished, we are in the stage of the proclamation of the gospel to the ends of the earth. I mean, that's what's happening right now. It began in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth by the end of the book of Acts, and it's continuing. For 2,000 years, it has continued. The gospel is moving and changing people and bringing people to the light of the Messiah. We're in the middle of that. We're still in the middle of that. And so our task is not easy, but it's quite clear. Our Christmas task is quite clear. Because of the birth of this child, 
because of the fulfillment of God's promises in the Old Testament, we proclaim the good news to all people. That's what we do. That's our job. And so Christmas is about many things and many, many good things that you will enjoy this coming week and I will enjoy this coming week. But I would say we have not really grasped the importance of this season or of the incarnation unless we begin to associate the incarnation and Christmas with the worldwide mission of proclaiming the gospel. They're tied together. Jesus was born to save and redeem a people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. And he redeemed you in order to make you a part of that mission. And so that's one of the things that Christmas is all about this coming year. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful to be included in your people. We are undeserving. We're certainly part of the nations of the earth that have rejected you and turned from you and sought satisfaction and honor and glory in ourselves even as the people did in Genesis 11, but you have promised to bless. You have promised to do good to us and to bring salvation to us, and you have done that through the Lord Jesus Christ, through his incarnation, life, death, resurrection, and ascension to you. And so I pray that you would motivate us to seek opportunities to share this good news this holiday season, and then even as we get into the new year, Lord, help us to be alert for chances to proclaim the gospel to others, to fulfill the mission, the task that we have been given to go to the ends of the earth and make disciples for your glory and for your name. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.